Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing, church? Good to see your beautiful, friendly, familiar faces and new faces as well. If you're joining us for the first time uh, here or online, we're so glad that you guys are here. I hope you feel welcome. And if you're joining us online, I hope you feel a big virtual hug because we truly are glad that you guys are here. Uh, We are going to be continuing today uh, in the sermon series that we're three weeks in now. We've been discussing the resurrected Jesus. So we went through Holy Week. We went through... Uh, the fulfillment of prophecy, so much to talk about through that week, so much to talk about everything that he was. We've kind of been discovering a little bit of uh, a little bit more of the personal side of Jesus through his interactions with his disciples after the resurrection. So we talked so much through Holy Week about everything that he was prophetically, all of the different things that he fulfilled, but it's been getting a little bit more personal the last few weeks, hasn't it? So uh, I'm excited to continue and pick up right where we left off. We're going to be in John chapter 21 today. So if you want to pull out your Bibles, do we have Bibles here today? Amen. Amen. Let me hear those Bible pages flip. Zach, you flip those around for me, will you? Everybody knows I love the sound of Bible pages flipping, right? When I was a kid, I was always afraid I would tear them. So I was kind of like, oh, you know, now it's just peaceful. Peace. Ah, Bible pages. Nothing, nothing quite like it. Uh, I want to begin, I'm gonna, so I'm going to begin uh, with a bit of a summary. Uh, we started with in week one of this series, so I want to revisit that as we jump in. So John chapter 21 will be in, will also briefly be in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to get ahead of the game, we'll also be in Matthew 28, briefly. Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, Nisan, 1432 A.D. He was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb before sundown on that same day. But three days later, on the first day of the week, that is, on Sunday, at early dawn, several women went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared in order to anoint the body of Jesus. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord. Two angels told the perplexed women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. The day that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the the dead began a period of 40 days that would change the world forever. We've already gone through a few of these uh, appearances. Can I see this uh, first graphic? Through weeks one and two, we've worked through most of this list. We're focusing on the 10 resurrection appearances of Jesus. Last week, we covered a lot of ground. Week one, we talked about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We covered a lot of ground last week. Everything from the first meeting with the disciples to Thomas's encounters to the ascension on that 40th day. This week... 
we're going to wrap up this series with the last encounter on our list, okay? Jesus' encounter with the disciples in Galilee. This would be his third encounter with them all. So with that, let's begin John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter, called twin, probably because he was a, had a twin brother, many conjecture. Uh, others conjecture that he would waver between two opinions, earned him the name, in any case. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, that's John and James, these were actually... Peter's business partners, by the way. We learned that in Luke chapter 5. And two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3. I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. I love this. We've got two applications right out, of the, right out of the gate here in this scripture. Two applications jumped right out, at, right out at me. First thing, keeping in mind that the disciples have seen resurrected Jesus two different times now, I can imagine it all seems to be a bit much to take in, wouldn't you think? First, they followed him as Lord and Savior, believed that he was the promised one, perhaps to deliver Israel from the Romans, only to see him crucified, only to be instructed by him after the resurrection. He's resurrected from the dead, and then he instructs them it had to happen this way, right? So it's a bit much. So keeping this in mind, the week-long feast of unleavened bread is now over, and they have left Jerusalem, and they have gone home, okay? And what does Peter do when he goes home? With his head and his heart spinning, I'm sure, he says, I'm going fishing. Some of you guys in here can understand that, can't you? But for Peter, it was more than just, you know, I need a break, I need a time out. He went back to work. That was his business. He went back to what he knows. He went back to what he's comfortable with. How many of us do that, by the way? When our heads are spinning, when our hearts are spinning, and it all seems to be a bit much, we just kind of go back to what we know. Don't we do that? We are called to a kingdom purpose, to a kingdom work, to a divine purpose. But when the fire gets too hot, when the pain or heartbreak of the struggle start to overwhelm us, when uncertainty creeps in, even we find ourselves turning back to what's familiar. Sometimes we at least feel like we can uh, lay our hands on something, right? I just want to be able to I lay my hands on something. I want to get something under control, go back to what I know I'm capable of doing, go back to what's comfortable so I can kind of get my bearings, right? We often go back to what's familiar, even if the past is something we once begged God to deliver us from. Something inside of us tells us that it was at least better than an uncertain future. 
much like the Hebrews calling to return to Egypt, right? Less than two months into their freedom, they're calling to return to Egypt. So do we turn back to bad situations, relationships, jobs, you name it, behaviors, habits. So I see that here in Peter. I'm going fishing. Second, the second thing I noticed was Peter's friends. What did they say? We're coming with you. Right? Peter was their leader. They couldn't let go of their leader. So they say, we're coming with you. This, what stands out to me about this is, is the simple truth that leaders lead. Leaders lead whether they like it or not. So there's a leader in here right now. And you don't feel like leading. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I truly do. I get it. But you're going to lead. Whatever you do. The disciples that went with Peter would have followed him anywhere, straight back out into the mission field or onto the lake. They would have followed him. So where are you leading people? Because... You can lead people to church. You can lead people to Jesus, and you can lead them to the bar, right? You can lead them into sin. You can lead them into despair, into discouragement. So be careful, leaders, where you lead, because you're always leading. We see that here with Peter. Let's keep reading. So verse 3, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Would have been nice if they could have gotten back in the saddle and had a little success right out of the gate, right? No, surely not. Verse 4, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. This sounds like we might have some road to Emmaus stuff happening again here, right? Remember on the road to Emmaus, he appears with them. He appears human. He's walking with two disciples, but they don't recognize him. They're walking with him for seven miles, and they don't recognize him. Something supernatural was happening there. Well, perhaps something supernatural is happening here again. Verse 5, friends, Jesus called to them. (laughs) I love this. You don't have any fish, do you? I can imagine the guys in the boat, wise guy, right? Thanks for pointing it out, wise guy. You don't have any fish, do you? I love it when Jesus asks questions, by the way, that he knows the answers to just to get you talking. He does it throughout the Word of God. I believe the Holy Spirit does it to us as well. No, they answered. Verse 6. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. Who in here, by the way, has been fishing on the wrong side of the boat, perhaps? I'll just leave that with you. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because the large number of fish, verse 7, the disciple, the one Jesus loved. I love this because John is writing this, right? And he's referring to John here. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to, the, said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
couple learning moments here. First, I just mentioned it, the one whom Jesus loved. I love this. The disciple, that disciple is John, the very disciple writing this gospel. Imagine recounting your experience to other people with Jesus. And every time you need to reference yourself, you just say, the one whom Jesus loves. Right? <laughs> You're writing it, right? The one whom Jesus loves. That's you. I mean, that's some serious identity talk, isn't it? Can we get that? I want that, don't you? We need to get that down deep. The one whom Jesus loves. If only we could live, think, and speak with such certainty that I am who he says that I am. Amen? And he says that I am loved. I am the one whom Jesus loves. If every, every single one of you could walk into every room you go into with that kind of confidence and self-esteem, man, I mean, every job interview, right? Every room full of strangers that you're obligated to mingle with, right? You ever walk into a room of strangers and you're kind of like, right? It's kind of awkward a little bit. I don't know you people, and I'm not sure you want me here, but I have to be here for some reason, and, you know? Now imagine walking in with that different perspective, huh? I'm the one Jesus loves. Hey, everybody. It's me, me again, the one Jesus loves. I like that. I'm going to try it out. Try it out and see how it fits, huh? I think it'll fit well. Second thing I see here is I mentioned this briefly a moment ago, but why did it matter what side they threw the nets on? You know? I mean, I'm no fisherman here, right? But I'm going to suggest that maybe it didn't matter what side the net was thrown out on. I mean, like I said, not a fisherman here, but a net's pretty big, right? And if you throw it over the side of a boat and it sinks down, I would imagine it might even go under the boat in some cases. And if you throw it on the other side, it might even go under the boat. What's the difference, right? A few feet. I mean, if there's fish there, a school of fish, it, They'll find the net, right? Again, not a fisherman here. I could be, I could, somebody could correct me on that. Anybody fish with nets? No? I submit to you this. Maybe he wanted them to put an action to their faith. Maybe it didn't really matter what side the net was on. Maybe he just wanted to do something in faith. The action itself builds faith as it gives God an opportunity to show himself. God says, do this. I don't see why I need to do it. I don't think it makes any difference which side it's on, but okay, I'll throw the net over there. And in doing so, you give God an opportunity to show himself. Because he told you to do something, you were obedient, and he blessed it. The action itself builds faith. It gives him an opportunity to prove himself, which builds your faith. And boy, did they need a faith-building exercise, huh? How many in here need a faith-building exercise today, amen? Maybe that's not you today, but it's all of us at some point. 
he always, remember this, he always ties his action, his action to your faith. It's always tied together, church. You've heard the phrase, step out in faith, right? Anybody? You've heard that, right? There's a reason that you've heard that. That's where you'll always find him, church. That's where you'll always find him. I can give you story after story after story personally in my life where we needed God to show up. We could have played it safe, but we felt led that we needed to do something. But in doing something, it meant a step of faith financially or whatever. We take the step, and that's where God is, right? Well, a lot of you in here know we were as a church, Life Story Church, we were meeting in a little room at the community center, right? And I remember we'd stand out in the, uh, and that's the only, we searched high and low for a facility to meet in, right? How nice is this place, by the way, right? We're in this little room, though, at the community center for so long. And I remember I used to uh, walk out in the parking lot, and I'd look across the street at the middle school and think, you know, we really need to be in a, something like that so we actually have room for childcare, room for a worship team, room for a, just a normal church service, like we would like to have a church service, you know? But there was no way we could afford it. It was a monetary, we couldn't afford it, we were too small, the room would have swallowed us if we were in it, right? But the opportunity came up that the, there was another church that had been meeting in there. They were leaving. He came to me and said, you really need to be in here. I said, there's no way we can afford it. But I knew we were supposed to be in there. So we prayed about it. And the more I prayed about it, the more I knew we were supposed to be in there. And so I called up Metro and I agreed to a bill that I had no way of paying. It was going to cost us an extra $1,400 a month which I didn't have, right? We as a church body didn't have it. And literally, the, day I, the same day I made that phone call and committed to that, I got another phone call from somebody who had been watching online and become, had become a friend, somewhere from, someone from rural Tennessee. And asked, they asked how everything was going, and I told them, well, we've got, this is, we're going to make this step of faith. And they said, well, I'll, I'll sponsor you for the first two months. Right there. And we never looked back, right? Because we took a step of faith, and that's where God operates, right? So God shows himself in that step of faith. He wants you to do an action because in doing an action in faith, then he proves himself in meeting you there. Does that make sense? So I think throw the nets on the other side. I submit to you that. Thirdly, uh, some cool things in here. What, what did uh, John say? He said, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord on the shore, right? Remember, just a few verses ago, uh, they didn't know that it was Jesus. It was John who mentioned him, right? Uh, there's a couple reasons that John knew it had to be Jesus. Obviously, uh, the miraculous uh, catch of fish was a dead giveaway, right? But also because this wasn't the first time that Jesus had proven his divinity to the disciples through casting a net over the side of a boat. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Let's go there. Turn in your Bibles there if you're following along with us. Uh, 
As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake uh, Gennesaret. Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Verse 3. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5. Master, Simon replied, We've been worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, right? There's, I just love, Peter might be my favorite because there is so much of him in us, right? I don't know why you're making me waste my time, but if you say so, right? Whatever. If you say so, I'll let the nets down. Verse 6. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. Verse 10. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Amen. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Now back, go back to John 21. Let's get back to John 21. So remember, this is before the crucifixion. Same thing, now we're after the crucifixion. It's always important to remember where you're at chronologically when you're reading your Bible, right? Remember who, what, when, where, why, okay? These 10 experiences, if you read, they read different, these 10 experiences, when you understand that it was after the resurrection, don't they? Gives you more perspective into the mind of the disciples. So getting back, this is, so there's that experience before the crucifixion, resurrection, getting back to 21, which is after. Verse seven, when Simon... When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Now, many translations say that he was naked. He was not likely naked, as some translations say. The word there in the Greek is gymnos. It just means lacking clothes. It doesn't mean he was necessarily nude, all right? But I do love the visual. I do love the visual. He labored, labored so through the night. You can just feel the fear, the frustration, the confusion, can't you? You had to be feeling all of these things. And in the midst of all that inner strife, the moment he heard it was Jesus, what did he do? He dove off the boat. He couldn't wait. How many of you know that feeling? Come on now. If you don't know that feeling, I pray you, you have an experience where you know that feeling. Mm. How many of you feel that way right now? No? No? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Lord, I tell you what, I can't wait. Mm. Some of you just need to jump out of the boat 
and just swim as hard and as fast as you can to Jesus. Amen? He's waiting for you, you know that? Just there on the shore, waiting for you. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Verse 10, bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, a lot of people have tried to do a lot of conjecturing uh, Gametria and everything else, trying to figure out this number 153. What does it mean? What's the deeper meaning? And are you ready for it? It means 153. John is just very specific. That's the best we can do. In all likelihood, John's a specific guy, all right? Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Don't let that be lost on you, all right? Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Remember before, the net had started to tear, but here the net is not torn. Let's keep reading. Come have breakfast, Jesus told them, again with the eating. (laughs) Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Again, there must be something going on here, some road to Emmaus thing going on. Because why, why is that even there, right? But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord, okay? So still they're not recognizing him physically for some reason, supernatural probably, you know? Or maybe they were still just struggling with believing their own eyes. Remember, this is the third time that they've seen him only. You know, Jesus is capable of doing some things in your life, church, that will make you question your own sanity. He's capable of that. Am I losing my mind, or did he just, what was that? Huh? Wow. Am I losing my mind, or did that just happen, right? That kind of stuff. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish, verse 14. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So don't miss this, okay? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do here? They were exhausted physically, emotionally. They were confused. They were upset. They were cold, and they were hungry on top of it and caught nothing, right? Up to this point, what did Jesus do? He served them. Another example of Christian leadership, right? You want to be a leader in the church? This is what it looks like. It's washing of the feet. It's serving. It's serving. He served them. He fed them. He let. And here's another thing that's great. He wasn't just on the shore with 153 fish. No, he let them bring something to the party, right? You know, let me encourage you this. If you're somebody who's having a dinner party and you have a guest coming and they say, can I bring anything? Don't say, nah, nothing. Let them bring something. It it is bonding, right? It, It lets them add value to the dinner, 
makes them feel more apart and like they have given because something happens within us when we give, right? So what did Jesus do? He served them, fed them, but he let them bring what they had to offer to the table as well, even though he had just given it to them, right? It was theirs now. And then he prepared it. He prepared it. This is reminiscent of Elijah under the broom tree in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. Remember, he's exhausted. What happened? An angel comes and bakes him a cake. Maybe not exactly like that, but might have been a biscuit. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus in the wilderness, after he fully defeated the devil's temptations and Satan fled and gave up, what happened? The angels came and ministered to him. So when we're tired, when we're wore out, you ever get there? You there right now? I'm telling you. Mm-mm-mm. The angels... Maybe this will make you feel better. The angels and Jesus, they observe your struggle. They see you. God sees you. He hears you, and he'll use it. He'll use it all. He blessed them exorbitantly. Exorbitantly. 153 fish, right? But guess what else he did? He didn't bless them so much that their nets would break. He blessed them exorbitantly, but not too much. Remember that now, okay? Because that's how much he loves you. I want you to hear this. That's how much he loves you. He wants to bless you, but he doesn't give you more than you can handle either. Right? Some of us, were praying for more than we can handle, and then we get upset when God doesn't give it to us, right? He wants to bless you, but he's not going to give you more than you, you can handle. If he, if he blessed them much more, their nets could have broken and they would have lost everything. He won't give you more than you can handle. That's the only reason I haven't won the lottery, I'm convinced, right? <laughs> Material blessing is always secondary to spiritual blessing. Remember that. Material blessing is always secondary. So if you've been praying for increase and it isn't coming, maybe... Ask yourself, do I need a stronger net? Hmm? Maybe you do. What lines do you need to sure up in your life? Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 15. Now, this is into verse 15 here. This is I lo- something I love to share whenever I teach on the topic of love. So, some of you guys have heard it before, but it just it comes next and it's beautiful. So, I think you'll be blessed by it. Verse 15 When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than these other apostles, right? This word for love here, you'll see, is the Greek word. It is agape. It's an unconditional love. We have to understand that the Greeks have four different words for the one word that we have for love. The English language is sadly incompetent. I'm homeschooling. If you ever homeschool your kids or try to help them with language arts, you discover... What is, this is a mess, right? What are all these silent letters for, right? Anyway. The Greeks have a word for... Maybe a friend you have at work, you're familiar with them, storge. I love you, right? Love you, man, storge. A, a, then they've got a, a kind of love that's for a friend, like a dear friend. Then, uh, uh, then they've got uh, a love... Uh, that is eros, it's romantic, right? And then there's, and then there's the love that they've got uh, that is divine, agape, 
It means I want nothing in return from you. It's unconditional love. So, so Jesus says to Simon, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you, but in the Greek, it's that word phileo, which is a friend love, as you love a friend. You know that I, well, guess what? That's a love that is conditional. It's not agape. So there's something here. Do you agape more, me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I phileo you. Feed my lambs, he said. Verse 16, a second time he asked Simon, Son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I phileo you. Shepherd my sheep, he said. Verse 17, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He's given up on the agape now. Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Mm, it's interesting that Jesus also, the Holy Spirit here, refers to him as Simon. Jesus refers to him as Simon in this passage. Perhaps it speaks to Simon's inability to fully understand the agape love that Jesus offers. Remember, Simon was his name before Jesus had changed it to Peter. Peter, which means rock, the rock I will build my church on. So the name that Jesus gave Simon was Peter, but he's referring to him by his old name and saying, do you agape me? You know I love you like a friend. Do you unconditionally love me? You know I've got conditions. He's heartbroken. He's confused. He doesn't understand. So maybe it speaks to Simon's inability to fully understand agape love that Jesus offers. The agape love that, oh, that only a Peter could understand. Somebody who had been transformed by the Holy Spirit, right? Once it was fully revealed. At this point, at this point, Peter still had some growing to do. And it sounds like us, doesn't it? It's my prayer that we can fully understand the love that Jesus has for us, church. Peter, Peter also, remember, Peter referred to himself as Peter in all of his biblical letters. He never referred to himself as Simon. Now, once he got that new name, he wanted to be known by that new name, the name that Jesus gave him, the name of his future, not the name of his past. Hmm. Peter, which meant rock, the rock that Christ would build his church on. Peter, quite possibly the best example in the entire Bible of a work in progress. He was chosen to be the rock. So let that encourage you. The work in progress was chosen to be the rock, the foundation stone that the church was built on. But you know what I find most beautiful about this passage, though? Whether my conjecture on this uh, verse is correct or not, what can't be denied is the pattern in the passage, right? Does anybody remember how many times uh, Peter denied Jesus on the night of the crucifixion? Do you remember? Three times he denied Jesus, right? How many times did Jesus just ask Peter if he loved him? Three times. And each time, what did Peter say? What did he say? 
you know I do. Jesus had to know that Peter needed that. Mm. And so Jesus helped Peter bury his shame with love, in a sense. How could he lead the disciples with such a burden of shame on him? How could he? And so Jesus covered it like he covers us. It's beautiful. And you know Peter didn't even know what Jesus was doing when it was happening, right? Oftentimes the Lord is doing something in our lives or for us, and we don't even realize that it's happening. He was getting upset, thinking, why are you asking me again? He's just trying to get Peter to say it. Say it. Say it. Three times. That is us. That is us, church. We get upset with the Lord due to our lack of understanding, don't we? We get upset with the Lord. If only we could see that what he's doing or seemingly isn't doing, he's doing for us. Do you know that? So often, we're praying for something, looking for something, and it's not coming, and it's not coming, and it's not coming for your own good. Your nets would break. I don't know. Yeah, it can hurt. Yeah, it can be scary. Yeah, it can cut deep. But remember, remember this. The only thing man made in heaven are scars. Remember that one? The only thing man made in heaven are scars. Because your scars make you who you are. Your scars make you who it's growing is painful. Every time it's painful, right? We often often in this life we ask, why suffering, don't we? It's for you. You're becoming who you'll be for an eternity here and now. And your scars make you who you are. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After, he, after saying this, he told him, follow me. By the way, you're gonna get, this is going to cost you. Another great uh, help wanted ad, right? Your hands are going to be tied. But follow me. Got a little time. All right. One more thing. I want to share this next verse with you. So Peter turned around, verse 20, saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper, at the Seder, and asked, Lord, who is the one that is going to betray you? Verse 21. <laughs> when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about him? <laughs> just this guy, I love him. So he, Jesus just gives him this download, right? He just gives him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, well, here's, okay, great. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This is how you're going to die, but follow me anyway. What's Peter's response? What about him? <laughs> Verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you, right? Mind your own business, right? Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, all right? 
As for you, I, like I said, follow me, all right? You just worry about, you worry about you and you follow me, okay? So y'all worry about yourselves, right? And just follow him. In closing this morning, I want to, uh, closing out this series, I want to look to Matthew's recounting of this same resurrected Jesus experience in Galilee. I think it's a fitting end to this series. So turn to Matthew chapter 28, if you will. Verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. We remember who, right? Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, verse 20, to observe everything I have commanded to you. And remember, I am with you. Somebody in here needs to hear that this morning. Remember, I am with you to the ends of the age. Mm, I got chills. Oh, church, he's with you. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. I want to carve out a little bit of time this morning. Uh, for those of you who have been uh, a members, a part of Life Story Church for a long time, you know, we used to frequently do something called a prophecy report uh, where we talk about things that are in the news and in the headlines that look very much like prophecy, Right? Things like, oh, I don't know, the Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that lists a, a, a coalition of nations that will attack Israel in the end times. You know, those same nations listed in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, they're actually now aligned with each other against Israel for the first time in history, right? So that's usually pro probably prophetically significant, right? Things like, you know, the founding of Israel, prophesied Third Kingdom of Israel in 1948, acting as a timepiece that we might be close to Jesus' coming for his bride. Amen? So we want to be a church that is always uh, looking to things that are going on in the world and tying them to what could be happening prophetically right now, right? Because Jesus said, this day will not come upon you as a thief, Right? If you're listening to our Revelation study on uh, Wednesday night, we talked about this. You'll not be surprised because you're sons of the day, sons of the light, right? You're paying attention. You're looking up. The Holy Spirit is showing you things. Anyway, we want to be a church that is always looking for what God might be doing prophetically in the world, but also engaging issues of the day, right? So there's a few things going on in the world right now, specifically in our country, that I think that we as Christians need to be aware of, right? And I know how painful it is to watch the news these days, right? 
Charles Finney uh, was a pastor in the 1800s, and he famously wrote an op-ed in the New York Liberty newspaper uh, in the 17, or in the 1870s, somewhere in there. I'd have to get my notes to look it up exactly. I'm just going off the top of my head here. But he famously wrote that if our nation falls into immorality, it will be the pulpits that are responsible because the pulpits lead culture, all right? Uh, the pulpits lead the people. The people make decisions to be moral or not to be men and women of integrity or not, right? Uh, he said that if the halls of Congress are bought and sold by special interests, it will be the pulpits that are responsible, right? So I, have, I feel a responsibility to talk about things that are issues of the day, prophetic or significant to our nation and where we're at, and things that I think that we should just be aware of as Christians, all right? So I've got a list for you. Can I see this picture? There's a few things that if you uh, haven't been paying attention lately, take a picture of that. And if you haven't been paying attention to these issues, I want you to go home and I want you to look them up and I want you to pay attention because the church must be engaged in what's happening in our nation right now, all right? We must be engaged. The church must lead culture. Amen? The church must lead culture. So what's happening right now? The filibuster is under attack. Who knows what the filibuster is, right? Maybe not everybody, right? I'll tell you simply, can I see that headline? We have that first headline. Why do Democrats, or is there another one on the filibuster? should be named filibuster. There we go. Nope. It's one of them, but... They might be out of order. It should be named filibuster. If you see it, Bennett, you can scroll to it. In any case, it just simply means this. When the Senate votes on something, right, we have a certain number of senators. Right now, the, uh, the, the Senate is split, right? The Republicans to Democrats, I think it might be 51 to 49 right now. Is that right, Ray? Am I close on that one? 50-50? 50-50. Oh, I forgot about that election. They're so sneaky. Anyway, if you get to pass things through the Senate, you need a 60 votes, right? If you get rid of the filibuster, then it's just a simple majority rule. And, and all you need is to have one more senator than the other party, and you can legislate and you can make law of the land. And that's a scary thing because the way that our republic was set up and our Congress was set up, they set it up so it would be difficult to pass laws, so, so the majority, there would be enough of a majority that they'd be sure that the people, this is something the people wanted, right? Versus having the nation be split down the middle and have it completely be legislated one way and then the half the country is upset, right? So this is very important for the future of our nation that we pay attention to this, all right? What's next on our list? D.C. statehood. Did we see that one? I saw that one a second ago. D.C. statehood. The House votes to make Washington, D.C. the U.S.'s 51st state. Why does that matter, right? Well, if, they have, if, they have, if they're a state, then they get representatives in the Senate and in the House. And guess what? They're, they're very liberal. They're very progressive. And progressive is just another name for socialist, okay? 
They're very Fabian socialists. If you don't know who the Fabian socialists are, look them up, all right? They want to remake the world into a globalist. Socialism is just, a, is just another uh, stepchild of communism, all right? So if you're a communist and you want to live in a communist nation, okay, you know, that's, that's your thing. I can respect your opinion, but I don't want to live in a communist nation. Do you? If you don't want to, if you like liberty, church, if you like freedom of religion, then you need to be engaged, and we need to know what's going on if we're going to lead the culture. Do you understand? Court packing, that's another one I saw a second ago. What's court packing? Well, you see that headline? Why do Democrats want 13 Supreme Court justices? Their answer doesn't make much sense, I agree. Because if there's more, right now there's a 5-4, there's a, a because Roberts is a liberal justice, okay? He's a Bush appointee, but he's a liberal justice. Uh, so the conservatives have the advantage 5-4 to four in the Supreme Court, right? Uh, well, if you get more justices and there's a Democrat president, what are the justices going to be put in? They're going to be socialist justices put in. And how important is it to have a, a Supreme Court that functions and operates? If you know anything about our government and how it was set up as a republic, it's very, very important that the Supreme Court function, okay? Otherwise, it, it becomes an, advo an advocate for policy, or it makes policy. It's never supposed to make policy, right? So it's very important. If you're not aware of what's happening with that, please, church, be aware so we can lead culture. If you want the Supreme Court to rule uh, against things like abortion, right? An issue that should be important to the church, right? Then we need to have a Supreme Court that believes the same way, right? Or at least doesn't advocate for it, all right? And lastly, this is a big one. We see a lot of it. Uh, these vaccines. We see that last headline. California encourages venues to require vaccine passports. Just don't call them that, they say. People don't like the thought of being asked for their papers. Papers? Nazi Germany, right? Have to have your papers. So... This is, this is really real right now, church. So we have to be engaged. We have to be aware of what's happening so we can speak on it, so we can lead culture. Do you hear my heart on this? Uh, it sure looks like Jesus is coming back soon, okay? Is that, any of this stuff prophetically relevant, Ron? We think so, yeah? Vaccine passports kind of sounds a little mark of the beastie, you know, right? Doesn't it? Buy, sell, trade, can't do it without it, right? Can't fly. Hey, you know what, guys? You don't have to get the vaccine, okay? But if you don't, you can't buy groceries. You can't travel on an airplane. You can't see how it's, it's just don't call it that, okay? But at the same time, it's, it's robbing you of your liberties. Amen? So... It looks like Jesus is coming back soon, but we need to be found working the field when he arrives. Amen? You know, the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar would blow and announce the new year, right? 
They would announce the new year. You know what would happen is they would work in the fields, bringing in the harvest until the last second. And then when the trumpet would sound, they'd drop their sickle in the field and they'd go to the temple to to celebrate, right? But when the trumpet sounded, they were in the field at work. So we need to be in the field when he arrives. And that means telling people about Jesus, right? As many as possible, telling people about Jesus, but it also means doing what we can to protect the rights that we have to do so. Look what's happening in Canada. Pastors are being locked up because they want to hold a church service, but it goes against their, their vaccine rules or their, it goes against their uh, shutdown rules. They're throwing pastors in, in prison. Look what's happening in Britain. You can't, Ron, you'd be thrown in jail for standing out on the side of the road with a sign that says, uh, give your life to Jesus in, in Great Britain right now. Their police, the free, free speech police are out there, right? What they do on Facebook and Twitter right now, they want to do in your daily lives, make no mistake. So we have to be involved in protecting our liberties that we have this nation that God supernaturally aided us in founding. Do you understand? This nation that is the largest exporter in Bibles, greater than no other nation has sent more Bibles out into the world than this one in history, right? This nation is the largest exporter of charity in the history of the world. And this nation is the largest exporter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, period, in the history of the world. So you know that the enemy wants to shut that down. So you know what? You want to you be found working the fields, telling people about Jesus when he comes back and shows up for his bride? We need to protect our ability to do so and our liberty to do so. You hear me? So, you know, you know and there's another thing. You know, there's no... Jesus is coming back soon, but there's no promise. Am I way, way over time? Okay, no. There's... No, There's no promise that America is free when he gets here. Is America in the Bible? Is it in Bible prophecy? Could be Mystery Babylon, you know. Could be uh, uh, other people conjecture that we could be those that just watch from the aisles or those who uh, are the young lions who watch as Israel is invaded, right? But there's, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that America is here and functioning in liberty and freedom. We could be completely overtaken from within by communism and socialist policy and their religious rights be stripped from us when Jesus comes. So we need to be engaged, church. Amen? I hope you hear my heart on that. Let me close with this. This haunting gospel song we read week one written by a woman in Oklahoma about whom little is known and who evidently never wrote another song again. She gave us this gift, and we'll close. God walks the dark hills to guide our footsteps. He walks everywhere by night and by day. He walks in the silence on down the highway. God walks the dark hills to show us the way. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, convicting you, 
bringing things to your attention, calling you out, I don't know. Maybe you see a lot of yourself in Peter today. Maybe you want to see more of yourself in John this morning or more of John in you, whatever it is, whatever the Lord is leading you to, just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. I want you to give that to him, whatever it is, is on your heart. I want you to give it to him this morning. If you're here this morning and you want to commit your heart and your life to be found working that field all the more, maybe you're inspired and you want to step into that commission all the more, raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Show the Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, he loves you, church. He loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that you're not surprised by this day in our lives, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you see the requests of your people that they've just brought before you, Lord. We give you our hearts, our lives, Father. We endeavor to serve you, to build your kingdom, Lord. We endeavor to stand for liberty and stand for the truth, Lord. Stand for you in the name of Jesus, Lord. So be with us, be with your people, Lord. Inspire our hearts, encourage our hearts, Lord, though our heads may be spinning by the world around us, though our heads may be spinning by the things in our personal life, by, in our relationships, Lord, that our hearts may be hurting, Lord. Receive us unto yourself this morning. Now say this with me, church. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, or maybe it's been a long time and you want to say a prayer of recommittal, let's say this out loud. And if you say this prayer and you're saying this prayer of recommittal, I want you to come tell me so I can be praying for you. And if you're watching this online, I want you to email us or message us so we can be praying for you and with you. Let's, let's pray this, church. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I live. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he go before you, follow after you, walk alongside of you. May he bless you and prosper you in all you do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. Thank you.